You're listening to In The Bunker, a podcast that explores the biggest challenges in starting and running a business. My name is Joshua Maddox, and I'm an entrepreneur and business owner myself. I'm sitting down with business owners to talk about the challenges they face, the lessons they've learned, and how we can all grow from it. Awesome. Welcome back to In The Bunker. As you know, Every business owner faces challenges in your day-to-day business, and we love to share those stories. Today, we have Wing Lamb in the bunker with us. Wing was faced with a challenge of adapting to the pandemic and pivoting to takeout. There's so much to learn here, and I'm excited to jump in and talk about overcoming this issue. Good to have you on the show today. All right. Thanks for having me, Joshua. Uh, just to give you a little quick background, we've been in business just about 33 years, started back in 88, me and my two kid brothers, Ed and Mingle. Today, we have uh, about 52 stores. We lost a few through the pandemic. We're in a bunch of different states. So about half of the stores are currently owned, about half are franchised out. But within the 30-ish franchise stores, we basically have about five guys that own them all. So it's a very tight, small group of friends, I call them you know, business partners, and we're out there pre-pandemic, 60, 70% of our business was dying in lunchtime. And because obviously 85% of the offices got wiped out, the people working remotely from home, that basically meant we lost 85% of our business overnight between two days from Wednesday to Friday. We got a ginormous haircut, the worst we've ever had in the entire time we've been, you know, in business. And like I said, we've done about three recessions, the dot-com bus, this bus, or that bus, and nothing like this. So I don't know if we can share all the fun stories, but I'm telling you, this is probably something that you can never plan for. And we're still not out of the weeds. We got to get through this winter. <laughs> That's crazy. I do want to preface one thing. For those listening, what business do you own? Oh, I Wahoo's Fish Taco. We started this thing back in 88. It's been a great adventure. So if you live near a location or have frequented their establishment, I know they had one local here. Apparently, it uh, didn't have the sales volume that was required to keep it, or I imagine it would still be in its location. Apparently, I didn't go enough, but awesome, awesome stuff. So yeah, talking about before we hit record, you'd mentioned that there was a few locations that were lost due to the pandemic and that you guys, you know, had the opportunity to not renew the leases on those facilities, thankfully. What did transition that pivot look like for the business as a whole? You mentioned that literally was an overnight element. What did that look like for you guys? So basically the announcement came out on Wednesday morning that all non-essential businesses were not going to be open for both to the public. So in small print, they said, oh, by the way, restaurants are okay. But by the time they said non-essential, everybody stopped coming. Really, between Wednesday and Friday, it just saw this like, boom, right? Supermarkets, on the other hand, big boxes like Costco, whatever, they went through the roof. They've had record sales. So I would say that in our category, restaurants, all the fine dining went off the cliff. Everybody went off the cliff and basically relied on the dining business. People that had drive-throughs, on the other hand, had record sales because people were willing to wait an hour for hamburger or an hour for a chicken sandwich or whatever pizza. So they had record numbers because it was the non-contact. 
So basically, we have to learn how to take care of our customers without engaging with them. So again, that whole thing about customer service, how do you provide customer service when there's no console, the cash, all that basically was credit cards, everything. There was no touching of each other. And luckily for me, though, we were adapting as quickly as we could because all of my friends were making the masks, were making the face shields. Actually, they still may have samples here of some of the stuff they didn't allow us. I just keep it just for, I call it souvenir purposes. But here's a little face mask that you could not, when it hit, you couldn't find these, right? And more yeah. important, I had another friend who had a 3D printer and I helped her make these little things. <laughs> these are oh, products. nice. Yeah. These are all things that nobody had, but we had it. So people felt a little safer talking to our cashiers because we had masks, gloves, hand sanitizers. We took all the precautions. But here's what really happened is I called a bunch of my friends. And what we did is we had some product that was going to expire because it was going to go bad because when you have fresh tomatoes, all that. So by calling a few friends, we literally went out and made meals and delivered them to the hospitals. And accidentally, I joke about it, we started this group called the California World Drop. So it was a very noble idea to start. So we did about four deliveries with the leftover food we had. And then my kid brother, Mingo, reminded me that we were down 85% in sales. Because this is really good that you're giving me this food, but we're about to go broke. So he said, so at the same time, the two messages came was, we already closed these stores down. I don't think we're going to reopen them, but there's four additional stores that are like right on the cusp. If they don't get their sales up, we're going to have a choice, but we have to shut them down as well. So between not having income and the possibility of closing four additional stores, I says, what do we get to do? And he said, if we can just get them to a hundred dollars more a day, we can bake it so that they don't bleed as bad. So if you get four stores, that's basically 400 bucks a day. It doesn't sound like a lot, but basically turns into about literally about 40 customers more. Well, the problem is I couldn't get them in because nobody was coming into the restaurant. So I said, I know where they're at. They're busy at hospitals. They're busy at rounds. He says, yeah, that's great. But you know where they're at. They're not coming in. Now you got to figure out how to fund it. And I'm like, this is what I do with events. Because there's always people willing to hunt the right, the centerpiece, the valet parking, all the things that happen at events. And since everything, music, sports, charity, everything was put to a halt, I called up my buddies that I know had money set aside for charity events. And I say, hey, guys, you guys want to help me out here? And they're looking at me and goes, you're crazy, but why not? So we teamed up Yogurt Land. Monster Energy Drinks, Hit Water, Chamula Hot Sauce, Cliff Bar, Vans, all the people that had stuff. And then we asked a few other friends, they had the money. And they're both, we don't have the physical product, the consumer that they can eat or drink for, you know, snack lot, but we're more than willing to help fund the costs. So we got together with a little bit of money, we started this movement. And to date, We've done over 350 deliveries. We've done almost 55 blood drives with the American Red Cross. 
We've been to almost every police, fire, senior, you name it, school, delivering the frontline heroes. So that was one part. And the other part was renegotiate our delivery fees with our partners. Because prior to the pandemic, DoorDash was charging us upwards of 40% per transaction. And you can say we're losing 40 cents on the dollar. During the convenience factor, we said, hey, we can't afford to do this anymore. And everybody's ordering more. So they, we said, hey, if you want our business, what about if we do an exclusivity with you guys? But let's waive the fee. So again, the one takeaway from this is if you're willing to take one partner instead of three delivery guys, you might be able to renegotiate your base fee. So today I joke about it. If you use one of the delivery companies, you will pay 30% more than if you did when you walk in. And it's your choice, but a lot of the consumers, they don't want to drive, they, whatever, look at gas prices, close to five bucks. So it makes sense to have it delivered. So you may pay a little bit more, but the one hour that you might spend in traffic or the one hour you might wear and tear on your car, whatever that may be, all of a sudden you're like, hey, no problem. So there's a cost to doing business that we don't longer have to offset and we don't have to cover. If you want to eat our food, we love it for you to come in. But if you're too busy or for whatever reason, you want the convenience to be delivered to your front doorstep, you might as well pay for it and people are willing to do it. So I think the convenience aspect, I, I, I know at the beginning of pandemic when businesses, small restaurants, especially you guys, we were talking before we hit record and you guys have you know, about 50 locations. And when you guys have a little bit more leverage than a average single mom and pop location restaurant. And so I know we were seeing some of these small businesses that were posting on their Instagram about that these delivery services were taking 50% of the actual check, which your profit margins aren't 50%. They're less than that. Yeah, 10. And so your profit margins 10%, which means for you guys, you were losing potentially 30% on every order. So it doesn't make sense at all to even continue doing that delivery service as a business. That's not a business model. I think on the convenience aspect, most consumers are okay with paying a little more, 20 or 30% more because it's delivered to your door. And if you're not okay with that, then they're going to be so frustrated with it. They're going to hop in the car and go, go get the food from the location, or they're just not going to order and they're going to eat leftovers or make something else, which they weren't going to buy it anyway. And we're seeing that with grocery delivery services, food delivery, all of those industries. I think it's understanding that it is a little bit of a convenience factor, which is okay. I know our team will do a work meeting and the whole team will get lunch delivered. We're all working from home, Zoom, and everybody gets it because you can, yeah, you can pay an extra two, three bucks, have it delivered to your front door, and you don't have to go out to lunch or leave your office type thing, which is convenient. And it is a nice aspect. And if you start looking at most people that work in an office environment, you're probably making at least 16 to 20 bucks an hour. So do the math for you to yep. go out and back to pick up anything. It's at least a half an hour. It's not more right round trip. Absolutely. So 30 minutes, 20 bucks, it's 10 bucks right there. So on a meal, 
it, that it's usually about, what's it, $3, maybe whatever the, ten, the 30% on a $10. So in more than it's way cheaper for you to have it delivered while you can still be working and be productive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the assumption that someone's maybe walking somewhere. If you got to go get your car, move your car, find parking again, you're downtown, what, downtown Irvine, downtown uh, LA. Good luck. Yeah. You're taking a two hour lunch. Yeah. which means you're, yeah, go pay the $3 for delivery. With this whole shift, I know there's so many businesses that just overnight changed. And it's crazy just to think about how much that's changed our, our habits as now things have not entirely, but most of the point started to, to head back towards a normal-ish direction. What are you guys seeing when it comes to people back in in the physical dining room. Are you guys seeing a lot of that? Are you guys seeing still a majority takeout? What is what is that looking like for you guys? It depends on the location because for instance, several of our locations that are in heavy, I call it office space. They were all supposed to go back at the beginning of September. But they'll remember at the end of the summer, after everybody had their 4th of July and all their vacations, family gatherings, travel, you saw a huge spike at the beginning of August. So by the middle of August, all my friends that were due to back in their office by September 4th, I believe right after Labor Day, they were all told, we're not getting anybody back in until after January. So everybody, no travel and uh, no going back to the office. So maybe some of the offices that we're seeing, if let's say last April, they were down to almost 10%. If they're up to 30, maybe 40% occupancy now, I'd be pretty happy. But again, it all depends on the area. So where it's a little bit more industrial, meaning your mechanic can't work on your car remotely via Zoom. We're an attorney or a CPA or investment banker. They can do a lot of things virtually. So I think the jobs that can be done virtually those people are not, they still haven't been back to their offices on a regular basis. But the mechanics, your landscaping guy, all the things that require a physical presence, and those people are back. So some of my areas, like the beach stores, have done much better, especially you know, when there's a heat wave, you're going to see everybody working remotely from the beach. Because as long as you got Wi-Fi, you can go wherever you want. Yeah. So Huntington Beach, uh, Laguna Beach, San Clemente, they've seen very, I call it, even numbers compared to pre-pandemic. But when you take something, let's say South Coast Plaza, a mall that is really, and people can shop virtually, Fashion Island. So a lot of offices are still not reopened. So you have that issue that, and then all the mall employees are not eager to spend their money either because they don't know if they're going to be next because you saw a lot of store closures in every different aspect retail-wise. So that's all the stuff. And there's this whole changing because people are like, I'm used to put a little brown bag in my lunch now. So there's a little bit of that because I have more time in my hand where I'm a little bit more flex time because you're not necessarily at the office at exactly eight. So there's a lot of flexibility on everybody's work schedule. So where, again, I might drive through a Starbucks, but I'm not going to stop at one. So you, again, you've seen the whole change in all the businesses that if it's not convenient, I may just make it myself. So you got a lot of benefit of that. And again, we saw the brown bag effect a few years back when gas price topped five bucks a gallon. So these are all the things where 
as a consumer, you decide how yeah. you spend your money. Yeah. And from a business perspective, there's a lot of that, you know, as a, or as a customer, you may not necessarily think of. And the one thing I will add with everybody making their own lunch, everybody over what the first three months of pandemic, everyone started baking and everyone became an expert chef. I felt like I had so many friends who were like, oh, I started baked 14 loaves of bread this weekend. Like, it's just in, insane. So yeah, it's amazing to watch some of these trends and the shift and how businesses like your guys's has adapted to this. Obviously, as you mentioned, you you guys aren't totally quote unquote out of the weeds. You're still working to get back to the numbers that you were pre-pandemic. But has the expansion and or awareness of delivery has that or do you guys feel like that has added a new or expanded revenue stream to the business? Yeah, if you're able to keep your costs down, remember the fees, then the delivery becomes a very viable option. The problem is, again, is you got to make sure that you can manage it because if you start getting a lot of these delivery orders and it's impacting your customer that's walking in, you better be careful because that customer doesn't understand. He's the only guy in your store physically, yet he's waiting 30 minutes for an order. So yeah. again, communication, let him be aware because, hey, by the way, just that point high, we have about 15 orders ahead of you. They're not here, but the drivers are all coming. So again, that communication, because I get it at least once a week, somebody goes, I was the only guy in your store and, I, and they can't you know, get my order. I'm like, by the way, did you see them all riding around? Well, yeah, I was they were doing delivery orders. Like, oh, so people are not used to it. So again, yeah. the people that are old school that are coming in, you don't want to penalize them. So make an effort to get their order out. Because the last thing you want to do is wait and you're the only physical person in the store. And you don't understand this. I don't understand why am I waiting 30 minutes and there's nobody here. So communication is a big factor in educating the, the consumer. And I laugh because I'm like, you, don't, you have to understand. You've got to manage it. And the difference between making a plate and taking it, as opposed to making it, packing it, bagging it, there's three or four more steps than just making the food and taking it out. So all the orders require an extra, say, 30 seconds, extra minutes. And it's a lot easier to see food. It was, oh, here's the top, here's the burrito. When it's in a box, they're like, what was that? Was that the top or was that the burrito? So mistakes are going to happen as well. So these are all the things that we're adjusting to. And some people, believe it or not, when you make a taco and it's open, it looks this big. When you fold it and wrap it, it looks this big. They're like, oh my God, my taco shrunk. But no, it's the same taco. But when you wrap it, it's no longer that ginormous burger, you know, bursting. It all gets compacted in. So perception on portions, uh, presentation, because oh my God, my fries are a little soggy. You've heard all that, right? Because yes, fries do not travel well. No. Because when yeah. it's in that box, it starts steaming, it starts getting soggy. So there's been a lot of adjustments. Pizza, all these things that you're normally piping hot at a restaurant when it sits in that cardboard box, it's going to be warm. It's not going to be piping hot anymore, right? It yeah. all depends on how far it traveled, how long your driver waited to pick up the order, because it's not all on us. Because sometimes if the order will say, hey, it will be ready in 15 minutes. And the driver is showing for 30 and then you still got to get to your house in you know, 15 minutes. 
That's 45 minutes later after it was done. So everybody as a consumer, you got to bring their expectation down a little bit because you're not eating right off of the grip. Yeah. It might be 15, 30, or 45 minutes after it got off the grill. And that's the aspect of if I'm sitting in a restaurant and someone brings you know, a plate of food to me, it probably was on the grill within the past two minutes yeah. where we're taking this from a two minute to a 20 minute. It's exponentially by 10 times. Leave your food out on the dining room table for 10 minutes and see what happens. Like it's not going to be the same meal. And I know that there's a restaurant I've picked food up from and they, they have tacos and stuff and they have to like, they portion out, okay, the sour cream goes in this container and then the cheese and this, and then the and so literally you open it up and you've got your two tacos and you've got eight little containers that you've got to like, because if you throw lettuce and sour cream on top of a hot chicken taco and now it gets all warm and soggy and it's just, it, and there's also the potential of what happens if I just leave that in my car for 30 minutes, could I get sick? It's just, it's, yeah, there's so many elements that there's some delivery food. Pizza has always worked amazing for delivery because you just throw it in the microwave for 10 seconds if it's a little cold. But a meal that's been crafted to look nice on a plate in a restaurant is a very different situation. And just the aspect of you guys being able to, you know, figure that out a few days of just what the heck does this look like? What did it look like pre-pandemic? Did you guys do a lot of takeout or was that fairly minimal? Let's just say pre-pandemic, maybe 20% takeout as opposed to 70 now. And more important, the majority, and when I say the majority, again, let's say 80% of what's takeout was picked up by the people ordering it. So it's really hard for you to complain because if you were late to meet, don't complain. You got caught in traffic. But when you order it through a delivery, then you can, you took too long. You I go, no, because I literally, unless you tell somebody, hey, you're going to be picking it up at this time and you're going to be delivering at this time, which again, if you're good at it, you can minimize the downtime. But the problem is you can't. So I'm going to say in the old days, even if you came and picked it up and went back to your house or office, the food might have been, let's say, 20 minutes. Let's just be generous. You're looking at 40 now minimum, right? Yeah. From the time it was made to the time you're eating. So if it was already, quote unquote, not as good at 20 minutes after it was made. Think about, but if you're good at ordering, and this is my advice to all the people in the restaurant, don't order food items that have hot and cold together, i.e., a burger that has lettuce and tomato, right? Yep. That lettuce is going to be cooked. It's not going to be crispy. That tomato is going to be warm, but it's okay. Warm tomato is not bad. But soggy lettuce, not a big fan of, right? And if you got fries with it, good luck because it's going to be soggy, right? Yep. So again, your expectations, and we're doing the best that we can to package this stuff, but it doesn't always work because these days, there's a shortage of all kinds of packaging. So there are certain items that just are not going to travel well. But for us, I love the idea. For instance, if you're going to go to a burger place, order like a patty melt, right? Everything in it, the cheese, the onions, the mushroom, whatever it is, it's all going to be warm. So yep. even if it's a little bit cold, you can throw the whole thing in the microwave and zap it. You can't zap a hamburger because 
unless you tell them, hey guys, can you put the lead centimeter on the side? Trust me, it's a pain in the ass, but it's the only way you can reheat a hamburger. With lettuce and tomato, you can't because the lettuce is going to get cooked. So for us, I advise my people, especially my friends, because these are the items that travel better. And I eat our burritos, our bowls, because there's no lettuce and tomato on there. The way, the, and the way I make it for my friends, and that way I say, hey, you can zap it. it but even if it's warm, it'll still be amazing because everything in it will blend even better. We'll have time to season it each other. So the rice, the beans, the protein, the salsa, as long as everything is hot, it'll be fine. So I tell people, don't maybe order as many tacos. And again, I'm just telling them, I'm being honest, right? The bowls, everything is going to be in that thing. So get it home a little cold, throw it in the microwave, right? So these are the items I tell people. There are certain items that travel better, like some pizza. Amazing. That's why I think one of the items that's become really popular are fried chicken sandwiches. Unless there's pickles in it or something that doesn't microwave, it'll be fine, right? If there's slaw on it, and it again, what should tell me that can I have my slaw on the side? Can I have my pickles on the side? There's like the lens of the video. So be smart. And if you give us a little bit of direction, you're going to end up with a much better product when you get home. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. And I think taking sort of that aspect and expanding it just to all businesses, it's thinking about the delivery method. And if your delivery method is, it's got to do a 40 minute, you know, car ride type thing versus a two minute getting on a tray across the dining room. That's a very different, we're talking like a 20 times difference in travel duration. Yes. And thinking through what's the packaging? Am I putting the wrong items together. And this can be food. This can be product. This can be, you don't want, oh my gosh, my, a a good friend of ours ordered my wife a candle for her birthday. Yeah. Easy. Great. Yep. But Target decided to ship the candle and another item, like a soft item in the same box. (sighs) Except the box, which is fine if they would put air packing and everything all in it. The box, the candle was a typical, you know, size of a mug, and the box was a large shoebox size, no packing, no nothing. And so when this showed up on my front porch, I picked it up and it sounded there was a bunch of rocks in the bottom. And I opened it and there's shattered candle everywhere. And Target said I need they, they needed the order number. The receipt for the item was on the bottom of the box covered in wax and glass shards. And I was like, yeah, I'm not getting that. And so we took it back to the store and showed them and they were just like, this is ridiculous. And so that's a great example of a terrible packing and you can pack food in the same way. It doesn't matter what the product is. You can pack it terribly. Oh yeah. And it's thinking about what that travel distance is and how that might change. And it's crazy. Your guys' business has gone from 10% delivery to 70% delivery. Do you see that going maybe back down a little bit as things reopen? Not until people go back to their offices. And, Got it. you know, which means then they'll want to get out of their offices to come to a restaurant. But people at home, not necessarily want to go out of their house, right? Because they got their kids. Whatever it is, if they're, they're fine. So the restaurant, going out, they'll go out afterwards, but not during the day. And joking about your packaging. So a three compartment 
box is horizontal, right? That means the rice and the beans and your food, whatever that is. And I've seen people in my store literally pick up the bag and go, and I'm like, okay. Rotate 90 degrees. Everything is mixed though. And, and, and it's leaking. And I'm like, no, you got to carry it up. So again, same thing. If you put the pizza box and you turn it on its side. Oh, it's going to be a mess. All these things. But most people know how to carry a pizza box. But everything else, I don't understand. I'm like, no, you can't carry it sideways. Just shake it real well. It'll be all mixed. Hey, it all ends up in the same spot anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's crazy. So I think one of the things, as we're wrapping up here, I think one of the things that we have seen just as a society with everything that's happened over the past two years or so with COVID and pandemic is the two things. One, the conditioning a little bit more to delivery and also the expansion of delivery services. So many of these delivery services like DoorDash and Grubhub and all these have annual subscriptions to minimize delivery costs. I know a family member of ours gets their groceries delivered from Walmart every Saturday. I personally have done um, groceries that are pre-shopped and I just pick them up. And the fact that I can do that and I can save an hour or two hours grocery shopping every week is awesome. And it's in reality, it's also a budgetary thing. If I go to the grocery store with a shopping list, I will inevitably come home with five or six extra things that were not on my list. Impulse buys, yes. Yeah. And the, and the worst is go shopping right before you eat dinner. Then your paycheck's gone. But I think, I think as things do get back to normal, I think we're going to still continue to see, personally, a lot of people utilizing services like delivery services. And yes, someone may before may have come to the restaurant and picked up their or sat down and ate their food, but maybe not. they're not going to hang out at the restaurant. Maybe they're going to go to a local park or maybe they're going to go just eat their lunch elsewhere. Like it, they may not take it back to their office, but they may not eat there. Who knows? And I think it's going to be interesting to see. And, and the biggest thing too, looking from a restaurant or any like place to eat, right? The biggest margin, like the sports venue, for instance, the meal may be slightly more, but the alcoholic beverage is just like, oh my God, $18 for a beer. So at a sporting event, you don't have the option because you can't go outside and enjoy it like the fence. But if you are, like say, near the beach and you say, you know what, I could probably stop at the liquor store. In the old days, you might not drink on the beach, but today cops are being a little bit more lax. I'm not saying it's legal, but they're not really enforcing it. So the idea that you can go to the liquor store and buy a beer for, let's say, three bucks as opposed to 10, right? So those are some of the things we're seeing. And so it takes away from our sales, but it is a free country. I'm not telling you this, that I haven't done it. Everybody's done some way of trying to save a buck or whatever it is. So that's where we're seeing some of our losses, where before somebody would come in and order a lunch and a beer or a lunch and a cocktail for dinner. Now they're like, hey, if I take it home, I'm going to get a nice bottle of wine at home. So that's some of the stuff that you got to adjust and figure it out. Was, hey, how do we make up for what we're not selling? So maybe yeah. we can sell an extra appetizer. We got to make it up somehow. So that's where everybody's being creative, trying to bundle it as best you can so that you can still have your average be 15, 20, 30 bucks a person, whatever that may be. But you got to find a different ways to do it because the beverage option when you're taking it out, 
is not as good. But again, if you have mocktails or ready to drink, they call them RTDs, uh, you might be able to make up the difference because somebody goes, you know what? I'll just take a little thing of margarita and I'll drink it at home. Because they truly, there is something about freshly made cocktails as opposed to bottled. There's that freshness that comes. Well, again, as long as you're doing something that's value added, you may not make as much margin as if they were dining in, but you're making up something. I know there was a, I can't remember the restaurant chain. There was a restaurant that was doing meal prep kits. Yep. And so they were doing meal prep kits. I know CPK was doing, if you order one pizza, they'll do a take and bake. So you can bake the second one at home. So the first one's ready, hot and ready for you. And the second one you can bake. And so I think those are all great examples of thinking about your customer base and how you can, like you said, increase that total ticket order a little bit because yeah, with someone not buying alcohol or not buying, you're sitting in the restaurant you're like, Oh, let's grab another order of such and such. Someone can jump up, hit the register, and it'll be on the table in a few minutes. That's not really super possible when you are at home because the wait time is going to be an hour from now in reality. So awesome. As we wrap up, what is your advice to someone who's challenged with trying to adapt and pivot their business? I know obviously that is a <laughs> massive element there, but... What would be your advice to someone? The biggest advice is look around, talk to your neighbors, your competitors, whatever, see what everybody's doing. Because at the end of the day, it's not that difficult, right? And there are certain things that are better than others, some solutions that work better than others. But as long as you can, you talk, because one of the things you can figure it out is, okay, if I'm not doing a lot of dining business, maybe I can take out some of my dining front of the house labor out. And how do I increase the output? part, like the takeout part. So you've just got to think, like you talked about earlier, family meals. A lot of my friends were doing family packages. You got to find ways to have value, perception, whatever it is, and maybe bulk up a little bit and say, hey, when you buy this, you get the free cake and dessert. When you buy this, you get the free appetizer. So there's things that you can bundle it to add a little more value to it. Like you said, increase the ticket average, decrease the fact that you might not be selling beverages. But at the end of the day, you want a full, complete kit. Again, you don't want the guy stopping at your place and then stopping at the ice cream shop or whatever it may be. So if you find a solution that includes the full experience somehow, and again, you might partner up with somebody because there's a lot of places that pre-pandemic, we just do this. And now they're saying, hey, you can do this and that. So whatever that may be, you might have to bring it in-house or partner with somebody and say, hey, I'm willing to carry the frozen yogurt. So in my store, you can get the dinner and the frozen yogurt. So we've done that in our deliveries. So literally, we can go out and deliver almost anything because we have all these partnerships. But at the end of the day, it's, hey, what can we do to make it worth everybody's time? And again, when we bundle things together, the perception is much bigger than if I just went on my own. And that's that absolutely applies to not just the food industry. Thinking about how you package the sort of offering and getting creative to make to make sure that the solution solves the full problem. Like you were talking about with the meal experience, providing dessert in addition to, or drinks in addition to, or whatever that might be. And especially with convenience factor, if someone is going to be dining at their house and they're having a meal delivered, then that means that they are intentionally trying not to leave their home for whatever reason. Maybe they have family or friends or they're sick or 
they're crazy busy. They just don't have time to do it. So the more, oh, you can add dessert. Oh, you can add beverages. Oh, you can add whatever. Instantly, like you said, it increases that value because now they don't have to go to another app or find another delivery for that other item. And you've solved the whole problem, which is really critical. It's been really good chatting. I imagine we could probably sit here for the next two hours and <laughs> chat about business experience and issues and a ton of other stuff. But where is the best place for people to connect with you? You can find me social media and my handle is at Wahoo's Wing. So Instagram, Facebook, whatever, LinkedIn, whatever, I'm all over the place. And if you also go to you know our website, wahoos.com, and it also californialovedrop.org, you can see what we're really doing. And I would be crazy if I didn't mention the fact that all this is amazing. But without having somebody out there telling the world that you're doing this, might not work as well. So I really thank KLOS and KTLA for being, I call them our media partners. Because when you have one of the number one radio stations in the DJs, Heidi and Frank, talking about what you're doing, it really amplifies the message. And people are like, oh my God, how will I become a part of it? So it's been amazing, like 18 months, and we're still doing it. And I don't see us stopping anytime soon and uh, we're out there and I, I, luckily also i've been able to keep all my friends working through all the pandemic because we're out there doing things i know you and i initially connected uh through charles antis yeah. with antis roofing and yeah. he was telling me about what you guys were doing and he's like man i gotta connect you with him and it's crazy it is it is some crazy stuff it's been awesome having you on the show Appreciate the time and I'll have uh, the link to your, your website, company site, um, your social media, California Love Drop, all that stuff will be in the show notes for anyone who wants to check that out. Appreciate the time and having you on. All right. See you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of In the Bunker. As always, we can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at In the Bunker Podcast. Be sure to share this episode and what you're going to apply from it and how that can affect your business. Make sure to tag us in that post so we can highlight your journey as well. But before you go, I have a quick personal ask. Each episode of In the Bunker takes a lot of work to put together from finding the guest, shooting, editing, all of that. And where I really could use your help is twofold. First, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or another podcast platform that can let you leave a five-star review or a text-based review, I would truly and greatly appreciate that. It really helps with the algorithm and allowing other listeners to find the show. The next thing that I really need help on is sharing this with friends, family, business owners, people that you think need to hear this content. I appreciate you listening to this episode and looking forward to next week. Take care.